Hello and welcome to the Hoff Podcast. I'm Daniel Turner, the pastor of the Tyler House of Faith. We take these messages from our weekly services and then release them here on our podcast channel for you. We hope you dig it. So today's message, um, I, I sort of have a theme or maybe several themes, and I feel like the Lord has really given me this for today. It wasn't my um, first pick, you know what I mean? It wasn't my agenda of what I would think I would be talking about this time of year, right? And teaching through, but I feel like the Lord brought it to me very specifically. And one of the themes that I think we'll hit today is that hopelessness is godlessness. Hopelessness is a godless point of view. It's a, it's a point of view, it's like when, when we feel alone, that is the opposite of the truth that we are walking in this life, in this Christian life. And there's something with having a hopeful view of an outlook of life and of the future that comes from directly understanding and knowing who it is you're following, who's with you. You know, hope is literally, it's like, it's an expectation of the goodness of God to be manifest in your life and in the world. And it is accurate. It is not wishful thinking. It doesn't disappoint. His plans and his purposes are, are brilliant and they are for you. And another thing I think that we're going to hit today is um, this aspect of breaking tradition, breaking old mindsets um, and ruts that led to hopelessness, that led to even an orphan fatherless mentality that bears negative or little fruit or bad fruit in our life. And I feel like there's an agenda of the Lord to literally hack away at everything that stands in, in, in front of the promotion and follow through of growth of his people. And so, you know, I believe there's a creative spark in the heart of every single person. And um, it's, it's written in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that he's put eternity in the heart of all man. And the truth is we were created in the image of God. And we were created as the imagers of God. We were created to bear his image creatively, each, each and every one of us, to express him to the rest of creation. And uh, there's something inside of every living person that fully desires to live that expression as the imagers of God. It's deep, but it's there in everyone. And, um, you know, if that desire is not understood and met, then we'll search to fulfill it in other ways. We'll search for it, we'll long for it, we'll look for it in other ways. And it's, it's one of those things, if we're created in the image of, the, of our God, who's our Father, um, but we've identified ourselves according to another model, then we're actually not living according to our truest self. And this, even in the story today, but in our lives, is where Jesus walks into the room and changes the game for us all. You see, and and so that's what I want to kind of uh, kind of get to today. That's going to be the point of the message. So that's what I'm going to actually be talking about through the story and everything. Um, but not searching to fulfill that that identity in a way um, that is off, because this is where strongholds come from. You know, strongholds are misconceived truths rooted in the identity of who God is. And a stronghold, if you think about it, it's like Lord of the Rings or something. It's these massive walls that are around a city. They're in a stronghold that's safe and protected from the enemy. But a stronghold is something that's constructed because of fear that we've constructed in order to become safe. And it's rooted in a lie about who God is. And usually the stronghold itself is an identity. It's a thought pattern or it's an identity that we've constructed in order to not be seen because then we'd be vulnerable. And the reality is, is because we don't know who we are, we've been created in the image of God, and abiding in Him, the Lord actually is our stronghold. And the vulnerable, transparent life of the Christian walk is a, it's like the, the put on the full armor of God, brother, you know, Galatians. It's like the full armor of God is crystal clear and transparent. You know, it's not a stronghold that's a mask. It's invisible. It is transparent. And it cannot be, you know, in Him, He is, we sang that today, that song that they wrote, like to be a pillar in the house of God. This is abiding in, in our identity to such a true level 
You know what I mean? That you're abiding under authority. This is Psalm 91, the shadow of the Most High God, where nothing can harm you. The safest place in the world. Okay? The story that I'm going to seek to talk about through this, if you guys want to follow through, it's going to be Judges 6, the story of Gideon. Something I've done over these past 10 years, probably you know, several times I would imagine, but I feel like very specifically the Lord brought this to me um, this week. Well, you know it's Passover, right? You know I got some real good hitters about Passover and all that stuff. Like, yes, son, I do know. But that's not the menu today, folks, you know? So, and so it's like, all right, well, Judges 6 it will be. And, um, and I can share about how, I, how it came to me if you want. But the reality is we're going to read this story about, about Judges 6, and we're going to think a bit about it, and it will be easy through the themes of fatherhood, through the themes of, of coming out of our old lineage and into our actual reality, our true lineage, our true identity, who we truly are, um, stepping out of being victims and a victim mentality, which that's going to get hit on. I have a, I have a feeling pretty hard today. Um, and stepping into... That which Romans 8.37 says that we are actually, no, 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 we're actually more than conquerors. We're not victims. You know, we're not even conquerors. We're something altogether more than that. And um, this is the mentality that he's calling us to have walking, walking forward in this life, okay? So the story of Judges 6, maybe I'll kind of read it kind of like a cliff, cliff notes and you can, you can follow it and I'll make some highlights in it. Um, but it starts off saying the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They had had peace for 40 years, right? Peace and success. They were thriving. But they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And it says, so the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. That's an interesting quote. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian, the Midianites, the bad guys, for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against them because of the Midianites. Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves dens and caves and strongholds which are in the mountains. So it was whenever Israel had sown, the Midianites would come up, also the Amalekites and the people of the east, so there's three people groups here, would come up against them and they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel. Neither sheep, nor ox, nor donkey. For they would come up with their livestock in their tents, and they would cramp, and you know, and so verse 6, so Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the Israelites cried out to the Lord. Wise decision there. They decided to seek the Lord and, and, and connect to Him. So here's the first six, six verses of this reality. And what we're going to look at here is that they've been oppressed now for seven years by these Midianites. Um, they're so fearful that they've created, in verse 2, strongholds, and they've remained hidden. So here's that theme, that, that 2 Corinthians 10, um, that theme of what a stronghold is, that theme of, of this understanding of, you know, kind of what we've talked about, these strongholds, these misconceptions, these, these, these ways of hiding out and not being seen. 2 Corinthians um, 10 uh, verse 5 says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal they're not bullets and guns and, and, and knives or swords or spears but they're mighty for the in God for the pulling down of strongholds casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself above the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into the captive obedience of Jesus Christ and so it's like hey like there's something there in the new covenant in the new testament that says hey <laughs> excuse me, that we have this ability, I just slapped my chest, which is my microphone, so that's going to sound hot on the uh, podcast. Sorry about that. Hope it didn't hurt too bad, those ears of yours, so I didn't mean to. Um, but these strongholds, like we have this supernatural understanding and this power, this authority that we've been given to actually remove these strongholds from our minds and our hearts and submit them to the person of who Jesus actually is. In other words, our strongholds are in direct relation to what we believe about God. But now we have Jesus, and that is our truth. That is the truth. He is the truth. And the strongholds are broken if they don't come through, if they don't line up with who he is. So that's where we're going. But that's where Israel was in this time. They were oppressed for seven years. It says in that first verse that the Lord had actually 
um, delivered them into the hands of, uh, of Midian. But that's interesting because this is a historical writing. Okay? So, well, God did this for punishment. Like, this is a historical writing, and let's kind of remember that. Um, but what Israel does, because of the number, it's like the multitude started coming against them. They were so afraid that they build the strongholds and stuff. So they abandoned their area. Because every time they would try to sow, and they, every time they would try to bear fruit, and every time to be productive, they couldn't. It was always stolen. And there's something to that reality um, that living in a stronghold or an alternate identity of who you truly are, instead of standing in the identity of who's God called you to be, you cannot bear fruit. Even if you come out of your stronghold or your alternate identity and come into the wide open place that God has actually given you as inheritance and you sow, but you go back and forth, it's never going to work out for you. There can't be double-minded. He who's double-minded is unstable in all of his ways, James says. He should not think that he will inherit anything from the Lord with that mentality. That's what James, Jesus' half-brother, says in our Bible. And so there's, some, there's a picture here of these people that are living in strongholds. They're, they're the people of God, but sometimes they're not. They're completely hidden. And um, they couldn't bear any fruit. Um, they couldn't have any of the fruit that they did grow. And, and, and basically, we can't go in and out of these strongholds these mentalities and accept to bear fruit. You know, the immature Christian life or the double-mindedness, double it can be all right when we're first stepping into this and we're growing understanding, but there, there's a level of it where, where you kind of start to get your tail handed to you on a regular basis, and that's what's happening to the Israelites in this story. The, en the enemy would literally surround them there in verse 4 and 5, and it was like they were such a minority that they would, they would play by the numbers and abandon who they truly were, right? But I thought it said God handed over them, them over. Well, let's, let's kind of look at that. So in verse 7, it says, It came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who came and spoke to them. It doesn't name who this is, um, um, but the prophet actually literally comes up in verse 8 and says, I brought you up from Egypt and I brought you out of the house of bondage and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. This is the track record that God is reminding them of. Egypt was much more of a powerhouse than the Midianites or the Amalekites and all the people of the promised land that you routed that were full of giants and Nephilim. Do you remember that guys? That's what he's saying. I delivered you out of all their hands. In verse 10, he says, Also, I'm the Lord your God. Don't fear. I also said to you, I'm the Lord your God. Don't fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. And that's verse 10. And I just thought, man, that struck me this week when I was looking at that. Um, I didn't realize, like, how I, have I not seen that or thought that as many times as I've taught this. In other words, like the threat that you're bowing to is actually not real. You know, you've actually abandoned who you are. Like, don't you realize you've been steered by fear to be someone other than, than who you truly are. And I actually told you not to fear the gods of the Amorites. So by being afraid of their majority, you're actually afraid of their gods. And not only that, there was also information you had actually partnered with their gods hoping that you would be kept safe because you were so afraid of their people and so we have this um we have this i don't want to call it a quadmire you know what i mean but it's like he's saying like hey fear got you into this you've been so hopeless had such a hopeless in, hopelessness in your mentality because you've been godless you forgot about who i am and who i am for you and this hopelessness is godlessness. By fearing the multitude, they were actually fearing their gods more than they were fearing the Lord. And so we get into the story and we realize there's an idol to their gods that's in the land that has to be dealt with. But the reality is like, but I thought it says the Lord handed them over. It's like, no, it's like the Lord leads us in truth, right? This is not, this is the judgment of God. It's like, but if they keep partnering or if we keep partnering with darkness or other identities that are not of the Lord, we're going to get to where those paths lead us to. 
And God's saying like, hey, like you guys kind of just made a wrong turn, didn't? Haven't I done so much more for you in the past? Haven't I been there for you? Why are you so afraid of these people? And why have you taken their gods as your own? Because you're so intimidated by them. That's what's got you into the mess. Fear, just like you know that Luke 12, Jesus saying, do not be afraid no matter what. Fear has steered you into these strongholds, mentalities, identities that are not yours. The sons, Israel, and daughters of God himself. So this is what happens in verse 11. So the angel of the Lord shows up. This is the prophecy to the people. This is actually on you. This is why you're in this situation. It doesn't say anything else about after that prophet says that word. Other than the people must have thought like, well, well darn, you know. I don't know if they said, well, I mean, I think, yeah. So, so simple. Okay. So the angel of the Lord shows up. But he shows up to somebody who's so ingrained in this fearful mentality and identity. And it's brilliant what happens in the story from here on out. He shows up to a guy named Gideon, who ends up being, you know, this book is called the Book of Judges. He ends up being a judge of Israel, which these judges were people that would come under the supernatural power and do these exploits that were just ridiculous. Samson's like the famous one to most people, but they would step into the supernatural levels of power that would shake the whole earth and would actually cause Israel to be delivered from what are enemies and gods that they'd actually come into alignment with, <laughs> you know? And so he literally comes to, to, to Samuel and it says, the angel of the Lord came and he sat under a terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the, Ab the Abizarite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him saying, the Lord is with you mighty man of valor and Gideon said oh Lord if the Lord's with us then why has all this happened to us and where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about didn't he did not he bring us up out of Egypt but now the Lord's forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites so he rumbles off this victim which is really an accusation against God the Lord's the one that got us into this position and it's like whoa dude Whoa! This isn't, in, this isn't, Gideon doesn't know this. He wasn't around in those days. But he's like, he's the one that brought us out of here, and he just brought us here to, it's like such, a, such an accusation against God. You know? And um, I love that story because you see Gideon literally threshing wheat in a wine press. You've heard the story, the Midianites, the Amalekites, they camp around the people, and anytime people are, they're trying to grow their crops, their food, they come and destroy it. They can't, nothing they're doing is actually working. It all keeps backfiring on them. They have no fruit to show for anything. So he's got a wine press and he actually is taking wheat and threshing wheat in it so that he can have food. So it says he's doing it secretly so it's not out in the open, so it's not seen because it's a war zone so that, so that they don't die from starvation. And um, I can just imagine Gideon in that wine press, like trying to crank out some, <laughs> however threshing, whatever that looks like. You know what I mean? I ain't no farm boy, so I, I don't know, but I can, I can understand. It's, one, it's not supposed to be in a wine press, and two, he's over there threshing it around trying to make some toast or whatever, you know? And um, the Lord appears to him under, a, under his father's tree, which is, you know, it's, there's like a supernatural thing to the Lord appearing under these trees. They think these trees are like portals and stuff through the Bible, and it kind of seems like that. There's a tree of life at the very end, and you know, there's, you know, Abraham and the tree and, the, you know, there's this, it's really magical and cool. So don't say magic in church. That'll offend people. But you know what I mean by that? You know, it's brilliant. I do have um, degrees in biblical studies and theology, just so you know, when I say things like that. But hey, that's just a, okay. So he's sitting under a tree, a tree shouting, shouting at somebody who's trying to do something in secret. Can you imagine that? And he's, shot, he's under a tree sitting there. This is God. This is Jesus. This is the embodiment of Yahweh himself sitting down. Somebody's trying to do something secret, and he's out in the open yelling at him. You know, when he's already scared. The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. You know what I mean? And you can just imagine, like, yeah, like, shut, shut up, dude. You're kidding me, man. Come on, shut up. Like, this guy's dumb, you know, he must want to die, you know what I mean? And um, 
and he calls him, the Lord is with you. God is with you. He would know because that was him being with him. He was sitting there telling him, hey, I'm with you, man. Hopelessness is godlessness. I've been here all along. I'm actually with you. Yeah. He says, oh, if the Lord's with us. And he starts to, to you know, Gideon was repeating an accusation against the Lord as if the Lord was the one at fault for the choices of the people. And this is a victim mentality. You know? A victim mentality can be inherited. That's another thing that I see in this story. We can raise our kids under this mindset. Theologically, we can birth this in people that we teach in this mindset. You know? A victim mentality is an excuse for why we don't move forward and it's a, it's a direct accusation against God that he has not empowered us and that he has not done his job as a good shepherd. That's where hopelessness comes from. It's highly demonic. It's bad. In the New Covenant, it's, it's saying, hey, what you did on the cross, it wasn't enough. You said it was finished, but it, ain't really, it wasn't really finished. It's, it's not good. And it's poisonous to your life. A victim mentality. It's terrible. Yeah. And that's what he's manifesting here. And the Lord could have been so bothered by that and took that, hey, by, hey Gideon, by saying that, that the Lord did this, you're actually talking about me. And I resent that. And I'm offended. And I'm out of here. How does it, where's Zach at? I'm, the I'm offended face that, got, that he does is brilliant. He'd come up here and do it. You guys would love it. But it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Offense is ridiculous. It's almost always an excuse to not move forward in the things with the Lord. And, um, you know, so Jesus has nothing to do with offense. And I love this. Instead of taking that personal, he shouts off, he vomits out all this negativity. If the Lord's really with us, he brought us out of Egypt, didn't he? Why did he, he, he turn us here? It says, the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm just like, what? One, it says he turned to him. So that means he was sitting under the tree, not even facing him, just shouting it up in the air. I think that's hilarious. Can you imagine if I talked to you guys like this today? You know what I mean? Imagine you're over there threshing the wheat. The Lord is with you. You know what I mean? Just shouting it up. Mighty man of valor. Just loud. I hope they hear it. I'm not afraid like you. Gideon. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like, shh. If he's really with us. And then he turns to him. And doesn't even acknowledge the, the, the accusation, the fear vomit that just spewed out of his mouth. He just keeps talking to him as the mighty man of valor that he sees him as. All right, so go in this might of yours. <laughs> I think that's just so brilliant. That's another thing. Strongholds, false identities, wrong mentalities of God. I'm not hearing from God, man. You know, that's a victim mentality. All these different things. The Lord talks to us who we truly are. He doesn't talk to the avatar our Facebook avatar, or whatever those things are called. You know, he doesn't talk to who our persona that we have to get our needs met or to be afraid or this or that, that, that. He talks to us who we truly are. You know? Right, the testimony of Jesus, Revelation 19.10, is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus. The testimony of what Jesus says, what Jesus has done, how Jesus sees is how we see in the prophetic ministry. And it's not for prophets, it's for every single person. And so here he is, just like the woman who got brought in, right, in adultery, and they're talking to him the accusation, and he's just not acknowledging it until he's like, hey, where'd, the, where'd your accusers go? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he steps out of the conversation for five minutes and then steps back into it. Again, he's not even in the conversation with the accusation and the victim mentality and the fear that's spewing out of this guy's mouth. It's, it's as if he doesn't even acknowledge it, man. He just speaks to him, this is who you are, this is who you are, this is who you are. He just affirms the truth. All right, cool, so go in this might of yours. Have I not sent you? Then the manifestations of his heart. How can I save Israel? My clan's the weakest in Manasseh. I'm the, I'm the least in my father's. 
house, you know what I'm saying? It starts getting to the root of the identity of how he sees himself and how he's exalted his father's house all above him, which his father was obviously very prominent as well, by the way. How, how can this be true? Like, this issue, this is, the issue is with me, the way I see myself. And this is what the healing of the voice of the Lord was actually coming to do. He was coming to tell him exactly who he was. And, and Gideon had no clue who he was, like so many. He did not engage with his persona. He talks to his creation just as he's created it. I'm the, I'm the creator. I know who you are. I speak to you, not to that. We can come into agreement with so many things that are not of him. You know what I'm saying? Um... Even in the demonic, the demonic, that family familiar spirit, it masquerades as aspects of people's identity. And it's so ingrained, it's so camouflaged with people. Well, I, I get this from my old, you know, it's just like my dad's just like me, my grandpa or my mom, or I get this from there, I get from there. It's like, it's like, hey, there's things that Jesus used to say about, you know, he would say things like, honor your father and your mother in Matthew 15, 4, when he was quoting, you know, Exodus 20. But then he would also say, if anyone comes to me, he doesn't hate his father and mother, his children, brothers, sisters, you know, he can't be my disciple. And it was just like, well, well which one? You got to hate these people or are we supposed to honor them their whole life? You know what I'm saying? And, and hate is a, is a very strong word, but it means to despise in account of following me. It's like you can't live to please or to be, in, be associated with an old identity you must fully step into the lineage of your true father as a disciple and be willing to walk forward in that life. You know. Remember in Luke 9.59, I think we talked about this a week or two ago, Jesus said, told some guy, follow me. He said, let me go first bury my father. And Jesus said, let the dead bury the own, their own dead, <laughs> which is such a savage thing to say. You know what I'm saying? Because it wasn't that the dad's funeral was that weekend. Let me go, my dad's got a funeral. It's just like, let me go and and live, live a life that's pleasing to my lineage. Because it's going to be crazy if I don't. You know what I'm saying? And then once they're passed away and I've honored them, then I'll come and follow you. And it's like, no, 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 no. This life is about coming to know who our Creator is and our true Father is. And choosing to follow Him no matter what opposition. Even if it's within your own house. Amen. Or your friends or your circles. Okay, Anthony hit that on the intro. I thought that was like, hey, there, there it is. And, um, you know... There's something there, man. And um, it's interesting. He's hitting it with Gideon, but it's getting all the way down to Gideon. It's my father's household. It's like, even me. So the Lord actually speaks to Gideon. He said in verse 16, I will be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Like me inside of you is greater than any army. Then Gideon said, he manifest, this is manifesting unbelief, by the way. If I found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it's you who talk with me. Let me know that it's really you. You know, and you've heard it if you've ever watched Christian TV on a give-a-thon or whatever. Delayed obedience, disobedience. Don't question the Lord. Just get up and give. Just get up and give. You know, that's manipulation and demonic. But um, it sounds like God's not like that. Hey, I'm, I think this is you, but I'm afraid, and I'm not sure if it's you, but if it really is you, would you make me know that it's really you? Because I'm kind of afraid. And some people are like, oh, that's, that's cowardice. Like, no, 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 no. It's like, it's like, hey, that's relational connection to the Lord. That's being honest. Mm -hmm. Give me a sign. He's like, how about this? Don't depart from here until I bring my offering and set it before you. I'll bring you an offering. How about that? His idea, not God's. And patient Yahweh, the one who threw the stars across heaven and created everything, sitting under a tree like, sounds good, man. I'll wait. I'll wait on you. Kind. Patient. So Gideon goes and he prepares a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah flower. How long does that take? Hey, <laughs> you know what I mean? He went to Stanley's to pick it up. It's still going to take you 20 minutes. Right? I mean, it's like, it's like he's going to be gone. And maybe a little scared Gideon's like, well, if he's gone, I'm off the hook, dude. <laughs> you know what I mean? Who knows? He went and prepared a young goat. 
the meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot and he brought them out to, to him under the terebinth tree and presented it to him. And he was actually still there waiting when he got back. How kind and good and patient is God with us in a process of our life right here and now. The people we would write off and be frustrated with about being around the same mountain. Da, 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 he's sitting under their tree, welcoming them to connect with them. You see how seeing this stuff does. It, it changes your heart about yourself to the Lord. It can change your heart about other people. You know. Um, so the angel of the Lord said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them out on this rock. On this rock I'll build my church. The rock of connection. The rock of Jesus himself. Lay him on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. He didn't ask him, but you're supposed to kind of eat, eat the broth like soup. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's like, just pour it out. Wet it. Wet, wet it down, just like Elijah. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand. And he touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire arose out of the rock. And consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Disappeared. So he reaches his staff over. Pokes it a little bit, you know. <laughs> and then fire comes out of this rock. Like that doesn't happen that way. Rocks don't catch on fire like that. But this isn't a physics course. This is, super, this is like, hey buddy, I'll, I'll give you a sign, all right. I'll patiently wait. All right. He waits that. It's like, you waited that whole time. You're not even going to eat that. You're not even eat that barbecue. Nothing. You know? No. He was waiting for, for him, not for himself, but for Gideon. He reaches out. You know? And I don't know if he glanced over at him like, is that good enough? Vanished or what? You know what I mean? But, but it kind of is that, you know? It's like, I'm out. In verse 22, now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. It's like, okay, it's like, it's official. And he says something hilarious. Alas, for I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. So it's like, he goes from, I'm too fearful and afraid to do this. Well, prove to me that you're really God. Oh my gosh, I've actually seen him and I'm going to die. Like, you see the roller coaster of, of in and out of fear this guy's mind. Oh snap, I looked at him. If you see him, you're going to die. You know, the angel of the Lord, capital A. It's obviously he knows this is Yahweh, the embodiment. So this is Jesus, right? This is the guy that hung on the cross standing there. I'm not sure if he looked exactly the same way, but I would imagine it's possible. But So Jesus is sitting there. God's sitting there. And he's like, oh my gosh. He vanishes in front of him. Um, but says in verse 23, Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you and don't fear. You're not going to die. So he vanishes. And he's like, oh my gosh, that really was him. And then his mind's like, it's over man it's over I'm gonna die and it doesn't say how God spoke to him because he vanished but I don't know if his voice was just audible like no you're not gonna get and by the way you're not gonna die calm down <laughs> just calms him down one more time <laughs> you know oh man so it says so Gideon built an altar there and he called it the Lord is peace and this is something about the identity this is something about about rest um, the Lord is peace. Like, the, like, oh my gosh, he's for me. He's with me. I'm not even who I thought I was. And he's actually not against me. And this is something that heals the soul, man. It comes out of the mentality of this bipolar Godhead, this wrathful, impatient, angry God. And Gideon meets him and builds an altar. It says, it came to pass the same night. So that the Lord said to him, sounds like Gideon is officially connected to this God who wants to talk to him. And the talking's happening all the whole time. And he gives him his first mission. It says, it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the wooden image, which is the Ashtoreth, that is beside it. These two deities, this Baal, Satan, this Ashtoreth, Jezebel, these two things. I mean, it's ancient before Jezebel. You know, it's, it's like it, it's, it's, it's these, these two demonic things that are like, they flow through the Old and the New Testament for the whole time. He said, take them and cut them things down. Take them and get rid of them. 
and, um, and take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. So take that altar and use it for what it's good for, to set fire to it. And offer this bull that's seven years old. They've been in, remember, they've been in captivity for seven years to these people. And that was God's, he was making this altar, but it was like God's um, exclamation point. Seven stops right here. This, this stops right here. And it's also God getting directly to the root. Directly to the root. Gideon's dad was the one who had this Baal altar and this Ashtoreth altar. He was some sort of leader in this area and obviously wealthy and he had a wine press and all these things. And, um, you know, this is where we talk about the father's idol, like this, this, the familiar spirits, the family lineage, this, this partnership that your lineage has taken. I'm actually taking you and I'm showing you you're not as much of that lineage as you realize. You're of my lineage and we're severing you out of that lane and I'm bringing you back into alignment with mine. So now as the leader of your household, which he's like, I'm the least in my household. Like, yeah, no, that's just how you see yourself because you're in that household. We're going to cut down this idol. We're going to cut down this stuff. We're going we're to sacrifice this bull on an altar of the Lord that's going to be in his place and your legacy is changing from here on out. Yeah. Anthony's word when he, when he opened the message. Yeah. And, you know, it's just like, hey, like, you have the authority. No, I'm the least. Like, no, you have the authority now to come into, a, into, a, into your true lineage and it's going to affect your whole household. Yeah. So Gideon took 10 men from among the servants, his servants. So yeah, the family had servants, right? And did as the Lord had said to him. But because he feared his father's household. <laughs> it's still, it's, this story, man, of Gideon, he's scared the whole time. Or he's, he's dealing with these things for, for a few chapters, which we won't go into today. But um, he feared the men of his father in the, in the city too much to do it by day. So instead of just marching up and doing it, he didn't do it by day. Um, but he did it at night. <laughs> it says, when the men of the city arose early in the morning, and there was the altar of Baal torn down, the wooden image, um, and the second altar, you know, being built, the altar of the Lord that had been built, like, hey, how, how this, how this happened, you know? And, 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 and they inquired and asked, like, who did this? And somebody was like, it was Gideon, the son of Joash, he'd done this thing. So the men of the city come to Gideon's dad and it's like, bring out your son. He's, he must die because he's torn down the altar of Baal. So you see how ingrained this is, the altar of Baal and Ashtoreth, this, these gods that were supposed to bless their crops and give them fruit out of the ground and all this stuff, the partnerships they had made out of fear to have protection from the enemy, all these different things. They were still so ignorant of the fact, just like the prophet had said, hey, like this isn't from God. This is from the bad guys you guys have aligned yourselves with. That when somebody went against the grain, it's like, oh, this is bad. You deserve to die for this. Insanity. Insanity. But I love what Joash said to him, his dad. Even though he had built the altar. He said, would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death. It says, therefore, on that day, they called uh, Gideon Jerubbaal, saying, let Baal against, uh, plead against him. His name gets changed. Now, we're going to stop at that point of the story um, just, because, just for time and just for some points. I'll give you, I'll give you a, a spoiler alert if you want to read this story. Gideon becomes the judge of Israel. Gideon destroys the sword of the Lord inside and through Gideon destroys the Midianites and the Amalekites. He completely restores Israel to power and peace in that place. All because his heart, even though he felt like the most cowardly one, was, was so bent on truly walking in alignment with the Lord, nothing could stop him because the Lord was in him and was with him. So that's the spoiler alert at the end of the movie. But the reality is right there. He gets this new nickname as the one who contends with Baal himself. And I know we're watching the movie like, no, he ain't that tough, man. We trust, we know what he's like, you know what I mean? But he gets this, this human that battles God's title that's actually spoken over him. And, um, you know, the people are so afraid, like, who did this? Who cut down this idol? It's, it's our protection, you know. I wrote here that, Ancient Israel worshipped Baal because he was thought to be the god of weather and they relied on the weather to, to produce agri agricultural you know, crops and stuff for them. And um, 
Yeah, because of because of the Midianite oppression, people worship Baal all the more, not understanding that they made things worse the whole time. And Gideon here, I, I think it's so interesting to see him completely coming out of the identity and lineage of his family, but coming into the identity and lineage of, of being a son who's following the Lord. And some of it, I mean, this it's so blatant to Christianity. It's so blatant to, to our reality. It's just like Jesus' prayer in Luke 11, our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's like, it's, it's clicking into this understanding. One, we're connected, but two, that's where our lineage derives from. That's where our identity derives from, you know. And for Gideon, um, God's first mission was like an, initi an initiation of sorts. He meets him, but then he's like, all right, now it's time for you to come out of uh, agreement with the things of your lineage that aren't truly from your father. Yeah. Not this earth father where you, you think you derive your DNA. Your spiritual DNA, your true self, it's time for you to come awakened to the reality of who you are and step out of all of that and choose to fully follow the Lord. You know, uh, you know, idols. What are the idols of the fathers? You know, the false father image, so to speak. The image we've propped up in our mind, these strongholds that are trying to sometimes live up to because we think that we feel peace when we do so or that we will feel peace. And so the question that, that arises out of this mentality that even he's manifesting, and even in the story, is there pressure in your life concerning following after the things of the Lord that comes from a place of fear? Fear of not pleasing or being accepted by family or friends? Like, do you want to choose the path of your life based on the direction of the Lord, but it makes you nervous because of fear about what certain circles or relationships might think about you? And it's like, man, if that pressure is there, it's something brilliant to be acknowledged because it's not coming from him. And sometimes we carry, I, I know for in my life when I'm feeling pressure in life or when I'm feeling stress, a lot of times it's the result of feeling alone. But I realize a lot of times it's in direct correlation with me not acknowledging God into the situation. And as soon as I do, it's like, oh yeah, this is foolishness to be stressed out about A, B, or C, you know. Often the things that we're so pressured about and stressed about and the way we're going to appeal or the way we're going to be looked in certain circles, even in our own family lineage, relationally, when we choose to acknowledge God, it's just like, I can lead you straight through this in confidence if you'll connect. Like everything that comes up in our life and in our heart is the Lord knocking on our door, standing at the door, waiting for us to rely on Him. That's what it is. All understanding is literally standing under God. It literally means to move out of alignment under him and actually receive that direction, that covering that, we've, that we so desperately want. But sometimes we're trying to work out in our own strength and in our own flesh, you know. And a lot of the, you know, identities people assume is a reach to get approval from their dad or from someone. And they usually don't realize God actually happens to be our dad. And he's actually love. And he's fully qualified and accepted us. And the way I mean that is like we actually have his whole heart. So it's not like we need his approval. It's like we have his whole heart. You know, Jesus is baptized, Matthew 3, 17. It's like, this is my beloved son. I'm well pleased. You know, we're standing on the bank of the Jordan saying, what has he done? Well, he hasn't done no good works. He didn't heal nobody's hand, that withered hand, the eyeball thing, the spit in the eyes, the ears, the deaf, the paralyzed. He hasn't even done anything. How can he, how can he be approved? I'm well pleased and all, my, you're beloved and all these things. But that's, that is our actual starting line in Christianity. We come to this reality before we've actually ever done anything. See, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil causes us to make, we got to bear fruit. We got to be successful and show that we're, we're a boss in this life, you know. And then we'll feel like our dad is pleased with us or respects us or people will think we're good or think people won't think we're losers. And all these, all these roots come because we don't realize how beloved we are from the jump before we've done a single thing. And then the rest of our life is lived in the rest of God and it bears a lot of fruit. I'm not saying be a religious bum, you know what I'm saying? 
and, and be so overly spiritual that you bear no fruit, that's also the opposite side of the tracks that what we're trying to talk about. It's the other lane. It's a ditch in that lane too. But it's like being, being at rest in the wholehearted love that God has for us causes us to actively bear fruit and not just bear it and the enemy comes and wipes it away. It's like bear it and it actually remains. And we're sowing seeds that actually grow 30, 60, 100 fold because we're in a place of rest because in our identity, it is settled. That is the root. In our identity, it is settled. The Lord is with me. He's created something good. The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. Like, shh, be quiet. I'm not I'm an idiot. You don't understand. You're, you're stupid too. Be quiet. You know? It's like, no. Fear doesn't steer me, and it doesn't steer you either. Yeah. Not, not that it hasn't, but it's not called to. There's a hole in your identity. You don't know who you are. But anyways, go in this might of yours. You'll see who you are when you follow through on what I tell you to do. Yeah. Just go in this might of yours. Just trust me. Just, just go. It's going to be awesome. I'll save you. I'll save all of Israel. In you is one man. By the end of the story, this guy's running against an army a hundred times greater than his with a sword yelling at it. Yelling, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. He associates himself with God so closely. That's how the story of this ends, if you read through it. He becomes, he becomes a monster. I don't mean that in a bad way. A beast. I don't mean that in a bad way. He becomes a <laughs> champion. When he realizes, like, oh, it's God that's with me. It's not about me. And I'm, I'm not the loser that I thought I was. Imagine that. And he's pleased with me. And the Lord is peace. In other words, it's rest in who I am. Because he didn't make a mistake. You know? I'm not accusing him of like, you don't understand who I am. I was like, that's a cute, that's still passive aggressive accusation against God that he's the one that made a mistake with who you are. It's rooted, all that accusation, all that wounded, uh, I'm a victim, that crybaby stuff, it's rooted all the way back to the, to the fall of that poisonous fruit that Adam ate. Adam, what, what's, what's going on? I'll tell you what's going on. You, you made a mistake with the woman you gave me. She gave me the fruit. Your mistake, not mine. So let's accuse God. Could our insecurities be an accusation against God? Yikes. You know? So these, these Hebrews 10, some of these verses about boldly going before the throne of grace, like I can't, I can't interrupt something priestly and kingly like that. It's like, no, 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 you can, you can stomp up in there. You know? You can, you can why? Because you're on that level with him. You're that covered. You're that beloved. The Lord wants to touch these, these spots. The expression of it, it's not always about dads being bad. You know what I'm saying? We can have good dads. But it's like the approval of that dad, it manifests in so many other expressions. It might be in a father hole, or it might be in a mother, it might be in a family, it might be in any kind of wound, but it's reaching for the, the attention and, the, and the, the approval that's in that creative seed of eternity that's created in the image of its father, you know? Yeah. And when we realize we've been created in this image, I'm actually like you. Well, that sounds narcissistic. Like, no, it's actually the other's narcissistic. It's so self-focused and accusation against God that we're a victim, you know? The truth is that, that confidence in who God is in us and who we truly are is like, oh, you didn't mess up with me. Whoa, wait a second. You're actually with me. I'm not alone. You know, I'm not, I'm actually not a victim. I'm empowered. Yeah. So even if the situation doesn't look that way, my thoughts are supposed to be, how does this turn into a victory here? How does this manifest the victory of heaven? Because I know I'm here to manifest that victory. That's our mentality. Oh, it didn't work out the way I thought. I was like, well, how do you manifest the victory of heaven? If it didn't work out the way you thought, then, then your thoughts, his thoughts are higher than ours. You know what I'm saying? It's like, how do we manifest the victory of heaven here? It starts with knowing that he's with you that much, that we're even allowed to think that way. Because that's how much he loves us and how much purpose and destiny he has for each one of us. That is the, that is the point, man. That, that's that reality. Let me just look one more thing at these points and I'll close up. Created in the image of God, called to bear his image and creatively express him to all of his creation. 
everything we receive in our lineage, everything that's passed down to us even, by the way we grew up, the situations, the scenarios of life, the coaches, the, the high school, the this and that, the abuse, all these things, everything that bears its fruit from those experiences that's not in alignment with what our, with our true Father is, must be dealt with, you know, and must be removed. Because those are the things that distort our identity. We think they keep us safe, but they do not. We are created in the image of our Father. And the more we see Him as He truly is, the more we actually come into alignment with that vision, with that reality. 2 Corinthians 3, 18. The more we see Him, the more we manifest that reality from glory to glory, from glory to glory. Well, that's, well, that's, you know, that's blasphemous, the glory to point to God and then glory to point to yourself. It's like, no, that's, that's what the Bible says. We see Him and it unlocks it in us. The aspects, the champion aspects that are in your heart, the things you want to overcome, the things that make you tick, the things that drive you, and they almost always have to do with helping other people. There's, there's things that, even as children, you imagined yourself doing. That it was the hero, the, the rescue of God manifesting its reality, its expression through your life. It's in your very DNA. Yeah. You know what I mean? And he wants to bring it to life in the here and now in the expression that it's called to be in. It's who he is. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the reality of your truth in the new covenant. That everything we once were in Adam, like it says in Colossians, you've actually taken and you've nailed it on the cross. So we don't have to inherit all of the effects of the fall. That your, your blood was shed as forgiveness and the payment of sin and it washes us clean and your body was broken that the penalty of the fall, the penalty of all that stuff coming would not have to be our inheritance anymore, but that we could step into your inheritance. I ask that we would be a people that walk in such wholeness and freedom because of the reality of this inheritance. That we'd be a light, a city that's on a hill that would manifest the light and power of heaven everywhere and that we would definitely manifest it in power in this city.